Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Well, why don't you open to Ruth chapter 3 with me? Ruth chapter 3. Uh, those of y'all that don't know I am, my name's Dean, pastor here at Family Church. We would love for you to open your Bible and read Ruth chapter 3 with us this morning. We're four weeks that we're going to be in the book of Ruth, so we'll wrap up the book of Ruth next week. And then the following week after that, we'll have our Thanksgiving gathering together, uh, which Laura let us know a little bit more at the end. But last week we talked about, uh, we've, we walked through these themes. Yeah, Ruth is a, is a good, great book. It's, a, it's so jam-packed with truth. Each chapter has a theme. Chapter one, the theme is loss, and our sermon was entitled Death. We see that Limelech uh, went uh, with his family into the land of Moab, uh, fleeing, uh, fleeing uh, drought and just lack in the promised land. And so they went to Moab, and when they were in Moab, Elimelech died, and Melion and Chilion, the two sons, died and Ruth comes home with her two uh, daughter-in-laws that are pagan daughter-in-laws born in a foreign land. Ruth's Orpah stays back and Ruth comes with Naomi home. Then what we see in chapter two is Naomi and Ruth uh, begin to, they, they, they get, well, Ruth gets to work providing for her mother-in-law Naomi and then she begins to glean in the fields as the law provided for sojourners and widows uh, to glean and to get crops uh, to provide for their family. And she so happens to land in the field of Boaz. And at the end of the chapter, Naomi gets excited because she's like, well, do you know that Boaz is one of our, our kinsmen redeemers? And, and if you don't know what that means, in the Old Testament, uh, there was a law that protected families and their property. And what we see is it was a, it was a very compromising position to be, uh, to be a widow in the Old Testament. And so it still is a compromising position today. That's why we're, James tells us that we're supposed to look after orphan, orphans and widows in their time of need. That religion that is pure does those things, cares for those who are in need. And so mirrors what God's law was in the Old Testament that we care for people who are in need. And so this Old Testament law of Leverite marriage provided that if a that if a husband died, that his, the nearest relative would take the wife in if, if he could and provide for her, purchase her property back, uh, provide for her as a kinsman redeemer. That's the way it worked back in those days. And so what we see here is Naomi and Ruth have hope because they know Boaz can be that redeemer. But when we ended uh, chapter Two, we saw that the, the harvest season was still ongoing. And Naomi tells uh, Ruth to wait and wait for Boaz. And they're waiting for Boaz, and Boaz doesn't make a move. Boaz doesn't make a move. And uh, what we see is this probably wasn't that Boaz wasn't interested. Boaz is giving room to a grieving widow. And in fact, he's probably, uh, he's probably making sure that he's not overstepping any bounds or things like that. But as we enter into chapter three, we know the two months of the wheat and barley harvest are, are nearing an end. 
and now is the time to act. And so what we'll see is we're going to unpack this big idea today, which is this love. Love is found in the Redeemer. Love is found in the Redeemer. So if you're taking notes, that's our big idea today. Love is found in the Redeemer. First chapter was about death. Second chapter was about hope. This is the love chapter, chapter three, and an interesting chapter that we're going to get to here in a moment. And some things that are debated, as Elijah found out in his seminary class that he went to the other day, but we'll get to that in a moment. Love is found in the Redeemer. Let's read the first six verses of Ruth chapter three together. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? The rest here that she's seeking is the word in Hebrew means resting place. It means a state of rest for a, a widow was restless. So it's a state of security for a young woman in ancient Israel. Should I not seek rest for you that it may go well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? You were with? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And if you all know what winnowing barley means, it means that you're basically taking the crop uh, of the barley harvest and you're, and you're, 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 uh, you're crushing, uh, you're separating the grain from the plant stalks. And when the grain is crushed, they threw it up in the air and the wind blew away the chaff so that the crop, uh, the useful part of the crop was readily available. So he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor and don't make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. So if you're going to make your intentions known or go on a date, ladies, don't you like it when your husband puts on some nice clothes and puts on some cologne or something like you go on a date, right? And so this is, this is what she's doing. She's preparing herself to make her intentions known. In fact, we've got to put ourselves in her shoes. She'd been working really hard. This was the hottest part, one of the hottest parts of the season. Uh, Praise God for deodorant, but they didn't have deodorant back then. So she was cleaning up and putting on fragrances, really probably to cover up some smells and things like that. We know that widows wore garments that showed that they were grieving. So in fact, Naomi's probably calling her to, hey, put off those garments, like put on some nice clothes and uh, make your intentions. Now, verse four, but when he lies down, Observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and I'll tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Love is found in the Redeemer, and this is our first point. We have four this morning, four supporting points. The first is love is purposed. Love is purposed. We've got, love requires Work. What we'll see is Naomi finds love in the kinsman redeemer Boaz here in chapter three, but love requires a, a level of intentionality. You know, when you were first like with your significant other, if you don't have a significant other or your significant other's passed away or whatever that might be, you have to make your intentions known at some point. It requires purpose. It requires 
work. And so Naomi and Ruth, they both devised this plan of making their intentions known to Boaz. Purpose requires intentionality and determination. It's like my childhood pastor said, there's two things you have to do in life. You got to love Jesus and work hard. That's what we have to do. Love requires hard work. We are not loved because of the work that we do, but because we love God and he loves us, we go to work and we do what he's called us to do. I love what John Piper says about this passage right here, these first few verses. He says, the sheer fact that Naomi has a strategy teaches us something. Let Let me repeat that again. The sheer fact that Naomi has a strategy teaches us something. People who feel like victims don't make plans. As long as Naomi was oppressed, as long as she could say the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me, she conceived no strategy for the future. One of the terrible effects of depression is the inability to move purposely and hopelessly into the future. Strategies of righteousness are the overflow of our hope. Let me repeat that last uh, phrase here. One of the terrible effects of depression is the inability to move purposely and hopefully into the future. Strategies of righteousness are an overflow of hope. So here's the deal. We can be stuck in our state and we can say, woe is me, or we can have a plan to move forward and tackle hardship up front in our face and get to work. That's kind of like our plan with family church. You know, we, we started uh, uh, during the middle of COVID. We had a grand opening that was planned that got messed up by a hurricane. We met for three or four months in our building after the hurricane until we noticed that there were underlying issues that we need to get out and we need to fix the place that we were in. And we could say, woe is me. Y'all know it's cost us money. We're blessed by what we have, but it's cost us anywhere from two to $3,000 a month, depending upon utilities to be here in this building. And so it's been a, it's been extreme cost. Y'all know when we first moved over here, we had some people join us and then the excitement goes away and they no longer around. We have some people that were, uh, Debbie's asked me about some people we haven't seen lately, you know, and we have people that were with us in Kenner and then we come over here and they eventually have fallen off and, and all that. And so we know we could complain and say, okay, God, you had a plan for family church and then all this is going wrong and all this, or we could complain or we could have a purpose. And our purpose is that we're going to get hard and we're going to get to work. And through the hard work, God reveals his plan. Now, there's something about this passage that we're going to get to here in a moment and talk about more. Boaz is on the threshing floor. And the threshing floor is where they beat, you know, out the grain and threw it up. The chap blew away and the the harvest was left. And uh, this is the end of the harvest season. It says that Boaz, um, well, we're going to get to here in a moment that he, he reclines back on the threshing floor. He's merry, he's enjoying his harvest. And what happened is the threshing floor would be on the outskirts of, of town. It would typically be on some sort of more hill or mountain so that the wind could blow uh, precisely. 
the threshing floor during that time, you would do it at night to take advantage of the winds and then you'd eat and you'd relax. Oftentimes the, the owner of the crops or the workers, uh, they would sleep there because this was an area that not only people would come and steal, but animals would come and eat the harvest and things like that. And so they would sleep there. But this was also a place where maybe some not so good things happened. Uh, the prostitutes and the concubines and those, they would sneak out and provide services to the people who've worked hard. And this is an area that was not always holy, sometimes was sinful. So Naomi devises this plan and she tells, she tells Ruth, hey, go out to the threshing floor and make your intentions known to Boaz. This is meant to, this is meant to have a feeling of tension. Now, uh, I know uh, what some people approach this chapter, and just so that you know, her intentions to uncover the feet of Boaz, the word there in the Hebrew for uncover can have sexual undertones or cannot have sexual undertones. When they say uncover his feet, in that time, feet could mean anything below the waist in, in that culture. So some people go to this, and uh, I, want, I want Elijah to know that I disagree with a seminary professor. Um, so uh, that uh, takes boldness, right? He knows more Hebrew than I, so whatever. You know, but some people, some people think that this means that Naomi went and did some sort of sexual act uh, to Boaz. I say that that's probably not what's happening because of the ambiguity of the Hebrew here. And also the fact that Boaz was called a worthy man. Um, and we see that Naomi is going to be, not Naomi, Ruth is going to be called the worthy woman here in a moment. And there were also underlying factors of if she was viewed as a concubine or a prostitute, which is what someone who illicits sex would be viewed as, then uh, she couldn't actually have a kinsman redeemer type situation because the child that was born through their marriage wouldn't be considered an Israelite. It would be considered pagan because she was a prostitute or a concubine. So I say all of this to say this situation is risky. And when we look at different situations in the Bible, we don't always need to repeat all the situations in the Bible. Sometimes there, there's two, sometimes the scripture is descriptive and prescriptive. Prescriptive means that we follow that example. Descriptive means that what has happened is described. And the Bible is so totally honest and, and, and bluntly honest to us. Things that you didn't learn about in Sunday school growing up. Did you know that Noah got drunk and naked after, after, uh, after he was rescued uh, and, and found land after the waters receded? He gets drunk and naked. And, and God only knows what happened after that as there's also debate in Scripture about that. Abraham and Sarah didn't trust God that God was going to provide an heir, Sarah tells her husband to go and sleep with her, with her servant. And, and Abraham, through Hagar, fathers Ishmael. Little did Abraham know if he had a little bit more faith, Isaac came along not too far after that. What we know is that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. That's what scripture tells us. But what we see in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, is Solomon... He had an impressive list of, I don't mean impressive in a holy way, in a very sinful, an impressive list of multiple pagan wives and concubines. 
the wisest man that ever lived, even the person who wrote the book of Song of Solomon, which is the book of love that maybe we'll preach and get to or teach at some point here with Family Church, the, the book that we go to as a guide for love was written by a guy who really messed up. Maybe he didn't mess up at that time. Maybe he didn't finish the race and messed up later in life. Because during this time, if you don't remember about chapter one, when we talked about pagans and Israelites, to take on a sexual partner or a spouse that wasn't a part of Israel meant to also be meant also to go after their gods. So not only did Solomon sleep with people who weren't his, uh, that wasn't his wife, Uh, Solomon worshipped other gods. We see that Jonah gets upset and he gets bitter after God doesn't destroy Nineveh in chapter 3. You read stories about Jonah in Sunday school or something growing up, you always end with chapter 3. Jonah gets spit out of the whale and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to them and Nineveh repents. We don't go to chapter 4 where Jonah gets bitter and he, he curses God. And he's like, God, why haven't you destroyed the city like you said you were going to do? We also like to skip over the fact that um, Moses killed a man. Y'all know? Moses killed a man. We, we also see that David had Uriah killed and slept with Bathsheba. And as a result, the child that he fathered with Bathsheba dies. There's a lot of like... Even, even Lot's daughters, this, this situation, y'all know Lot's daughters get their, get their father drunk and they sleep with him. Y'all, the Bible's real. It tells you exactly what happened. And it means that you can trust it for all that it says because it doesn't hold anything back. What we learn is whether Ruth's actions here are sexual in nature or not, the hero of the story isn't Ruth. The hero of the story is not Ruth. The hero of the story is not Boaz. The hero of the story is not Naomi. The hero of the story is the God who they serve, who work in their circumstances, despite their circumstances, and despite some of their own actions. So love is purposed. Let's get to our second point, which is this. Love is purposed, but let's be clear. Love is pure. Love is pure. Love can be purpose, but God calls our love to be pure. Let's look at verses 7 through 11 together. Verses 7 through 11. And when Bo, and I'll, I'll read all this and then we'll comment on it in a second. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. And he went, and he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you're a redeemer. And, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made known this last kindness greater than the first, that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear For I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Love is pure. This seems like a scandalous situation. Ruth is going to the threshing floor, a place where prostitutes often came and slept with men uh, who were resting from the harvest. She comes. Here's some things that I think 
show you that maybe the intentions weren't bad, is she comes under the covering of night. She comes under the covering of night, and part of the reason they plan to do this is so that she wouldn't be viewed as a concubine or a prostitute. Concubines and prostitutes, they, they just came. They came and they got started before the night came. And so, but what we see here is that she comes under the covering of night. Also, Boaz's response to her wasn't, get away from me, you, you know, I don't want to use a word, you know. His response to her was very kind, right? He talks about her being a worthy woman. He talks about her reputation preceding herself. What we see in verse 10, he blesses Ruth for her actions. And in verse 11, he calls her a supremely noble woman. We see Boaz reclines back in verse 7. He's, he's satisfied with the harvest. It says in verse 7, he was merry. At the end of the harvest season was a time where they would feast and drink and the word here for Mary probably involves some sort of alcoholic beverage, but it, it doesn't, it's not drunkenness because uh, you, can, you can go with stuff in the Bible and you can be like, oh, he got drunk, they had sex, all these things. These, this is not what's happening here because uh, for, for, for drunkenness, wayatib libo, which is the words in Hebrew, they don't indicate drunkenness. It just indicates satisfactory drank. So he drank. And what we see is that anything in life, whether it be sex, alcohol, food, like anything that God created and God created. Y'all realize Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine? The Southern Baptist churches that I grew up in like struggle with that, right? We want to say Jesus turned water into grape juice, right? No, he turned water into wine. These things aren't bad, but what we see is that the Old Testament, we're told that wine is a mocker, right? And that drunkenness can lead to other sinful activity. This is why the law prohibited against drunkenness. Using something that God created for good and using it in a, a, an abundant way that overstepped the bounds of limitations to where then it becomes sin. That's like everything. God created sex for the man and the woman in the confines of marriage. But when we go outside of those bounds is when we go past what he's created as good. It's anything. And so what we see here is that Boaz is, is drinking. He's drinking and enjoying uh, his, his feast. He likely wasn't drunk because he wakes up when she uncovers his feet. And I'm going to take his feet as literal, not that she's uncovering any genitals or anything, but that he, she's uncovering his feet. And I think he's startled because it's cold and he wakes up and his feet, y'all know, your, your spouse ever kicked the covers over and you, you, your feet, y'all know, ladies, you want to you want to kill your husband sometimes? You know, so that, that's, that's just the way it is. And so he's startled and he wakes up and uh, he'd enjoyed, he was obviously sober because he saw all that was happening. All, he's aware of all that was going on. It says that Naomi, not Naomi, Ruth came softly during the, the middle of night. And in fact, some people have said she got dressed in a scandalous or seductive way. Uh, just so that you know, the second cloak that she put on during that time, women would put a cloak on that would cover them basically from head to toe. There was nothing sexy about it. It covered everything. And why would she put on this cloak in the middle of night to go there under the cover of darkness if she had any other intentions? 
she probably had the additional cloak on, one, to show that she was no longer a grieving widow, but also it was cold in the middle of the night, and she needs a cloak for cover, and we'll get to that in a moment as Boaz gives her some food to bring back. He says, He's startled, he turns over, he says, who are you? And, and then she responds, and all right, guys, we usually propose marriage, right? We're the ones that get down on one knee and say, will you marry me, right? But in this time, sometimes things were reversed. And what we see here is that Ruth is the one who proposes marriage. Let's look at verse nine again together. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Now the word there for servant is handmaid. Not like a regular servant, but a, a handmaid, a housemaid, a highly regarded servant in that day who could carry on the lineage of a family. She said, I am your servant, verse 9. Spread your wings over your servant for your redeemer. Boaz knew what this meant. Spread your wings meant not only was an allusion to the Old Testament where God covers us with protection but under the shadow of his wings, but in that time, the way marriage was proposed is you spread your wings. You took the piece of your garment and you covered, you covered the woman. How would you like that, right? When Robert proposed to you, Debbie, if he took like, you know, some of his you know, shirt or his jeans and like threw it on top of you, that'd be weird, right? But during that time, that's how they... They didn't throw him over the shoulder. All right, woman, you're coming. No, it was like they covered her. And, and, the, and the symbolic action of this is how God covers us in protection. So would the husband now cover their wife in protection. So she proposes marriage. She says, I'm your servant. Would you become a redeemer for me? And he answers, in fact, he will. Love is pure. Let's go on to our third point, which is this. Love is patient. So love is purposed, love is pure, love is patient. Let's read Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 together. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. So the way the redemption worked is that the first brother got the first tabs and and then it would go down. It would go to uncles. If they didn't want to do it, it would go to other family members, things like that. So Boaz is saying, yes, I'm a part of Elimelech's clan, but there's somebody that's closer than I. I want to redeem you, but let me make sure that that other person doesn't want to redeem you before me. In verse 13, I believe, and you, and you study the Hebrew here and look at a good commentary, it'll tell you about it, but he uses this word remain tonight. The word remain tonight meant to lodge. It didn't mean to engage in sexual activity. So he's telling Ruth, stay here tonight. Because why would he shoo off Ruth in the middle of the night with her as a young widow in the middle of the night where there's people, where men are trying to rape women, wildlife is around. This is a, a time where he doesn't need to shoo her off because she needs to be protected. So he's protecting her, and he says, Remain here tonight, and in the morning I will redeem you. Good, let, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as long as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet. It's very crystal clear she laid at his feet, not by his side. If it was sexual in nature, she'd have been by his side, you know? How did husband and wife sleep? You sleep by your side, right? 
you don't sleep by somebody's feet. You may think that's gross. You know, but this was meant so that she was protected, but there was no, nothing sexual in nature. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman who came to the threshing floor. And then what we see here is that he indicates that love here is patient. He's saying, I'm going to redeem you, but we've got to wait until I approach that other relative so that we know that the actions can take place as they've taken place. Love is purpose, love is patient, love is pure. Last we see love is promise. So let's read the last verses 15 through 18 of our passage today. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, so she's taken that second cloak that she has that's covering everything that was probably keeping her warm. She holds it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the sea. So he's given her some food to bring home to Naomi. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said to her, how'd you fare, my daughter? Then the daughter told her that the, what the man had done for her. And don't you think that if, if, the, if the man had slept with her, it would be included here, and Naomi may even be appalled that he took advantage of a widow in this situation, but we see no evidence of that, saying the six measures of barley that he gave me, um, he gave me, for he said to me, you will not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. In verse 18, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. The man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Love is promised. We know that just as Boaz promised to redeem, to, to redeem Ruth, and through Ruth's redemption would be redemption to her mother-in-law, Naomi, we know that we as Christians, we're promised redemption. But sometimes the redemption requires waiting. Sometimes the redemption requires trusting in God. In our Sunday morning group, we've been talking about how, how we can use the Bible as a guide to prayer. And today we prayed through Psalm chapter 63 together. And Robert and uh, Elijah had the verses about, you know, God destroy my enemies or, you know, those verses that you see in the Psalms. And part of that is, is David or whoever the author is of the Psalms that, that we are reading. David is crying out and he's saying, God... I know that you're going to redeem and I know that you're going to cover me and I know that you're going to provide for me against my enemies. Right now, I'm hurting and I need you to provide. What we see here is that Naomi and Ruth know that redemption is coming. But now is the time to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is not reservation. Waiting on the Lord is an act of trust in his promises. Waiting on the Lord is purposed action. Waiting on the Lord is pure. Waiting on the Lord is patient as we wait for that redemption to come. She says in the last verse that the man will not rest until the redemption is done. Boaz is getting to work, and what we're going to see in chapter 4, how he, he gets to work at the city gate to, 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 to line up his marriage to Ruth. He's not wasting a moment because he knows in this moment redemption is available for Ruth and he is going to bring that redemption 
to her. I'd like to close with this. Are you searching for love? Have you found that love in another human being? If you're around that human being long enough, you know that, yes, love and marriage is is patient and kind and bears all things in sickness and in health. We, you know, we're together. But you know that that love's not always perfect, right? You fail one another, you hurt one another. Some people in here have been through the wretchedness of, and hurt of divorce. Love's not always perfect, but there is a love that is perfect. His name is Jesus. And so today, I'd like to invite you that if love is found in the Redeemer, I'd like to invite you to, to follow the one true Redeemer, who's better than Boaz, who makes better plans than Naomi, who's more faithful than Ruth, who's more pure than the situations that we find ourselves in. I want to invite you today to join the family, the family of God, as we love God passionately and we love people personally together. And maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've been like Boaz and Ruth on the threshing floor and you did scandalous things. Know this, that in Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not what you do that saves you. It's what Jesus has done for you. And my prayer, my prayer, honestly, going to bed last night, I kind of had a restless night of sleep. I woke up a few times. And my prayer was, I prayed for, for many of you in this room specifically last night. For those of y'all that aren't, are struggling with your faith in Jesus, for those of you that are hurting, for those of you that haven't committed your life to Jesus, I prayed that today and in the days to come, you would find that love. Love is a person. His name is Jesus. No situation could ever provide that love and that hope. Romans 10, 13 says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, call upon Christ shall be saved. I want to invite you to do that today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for providing. God, we thank you just as as Naomi had a plan, as Ruth executed the plan, as Boaz uh, executed his part in the plan with purity. God, I pray that we would do the same. If love for them was found in a Redeemer, how much more is love for us found in you, the great Redeemer. So Lord, today I I pray that you would take us, you would wash us clean. You'd tell us to put out our cloak and fill it with good things and to trust and wait on your promise. Lord, help us to respond. If there's someone in here today who needs to take that step of faith of committing their life to you, no matter what anyone else thinks, Lord, help them to come to me or someone else, Lord, and help them to say, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Lord, there's someone in here today who knows that you've, like Naomi, had a plan. Lord, maybe they're without purpose in their life, but God, you know that you put in their hearts that they need to do something. 
Lord, help them to commit that to you today. Lord, it's in your name that we respond. Amen.